services brokerage model, it might be helpful for us just to quickly review what a cloud services brokerage is, just to make sure that we're all um, speaking from the same context. So essentially what a cloud services brokerage is, um, is it's a, uh, it could be an entity or organization that aggregates the delivery and lifecycle management and user management for multiple cloud providers. And these multiple cloud providers can be uh, public cloud providers, uh, providing things like you know, software as a service or uh, infrastructure or platforms as a service operating in a, in a public um, type of model. Um, and or they could be um, private clouds that are hosted out of uh, your own data center or a uh, you know, private hosted cloud operating out of a, a third-party data center. But essentially the value, the reason that's driving the, uh, the growth for cloud services brokerages, which is um, um, you know, definitely uh, ramping up very quickly right now and is expected to continue to do that uh, based on Gartner's analysis and others, uh, what's driving it is that we have seen you know, uh, exponential growth on the supply side in terms of the sheer volume of different cloud services that are out there. And we've also seen steady growth on the consumption side by businesses um, of different uh, shapes and forms and sizes. So um, employees within large enterprises are seeing the value of getting uh, cloud services. Increasingly, they're going out and getting them on their own. Uh, and not through IT, which is uh, one of the issues we'll talk about. Um, or it could be SMB, um, you know, small business-sized businesses who are seeing the value of the cloud in terms of, um, you know, getting access to capabilities that they, you know, previously couldn't afford in an on-premise model. Um, but the big challenge for these SMBs is just navigating through the sheer volume of, of different uh, cloud, you know, services options that are out there. And so um, because of this, there has emerged this uh, role, which uh, you know, is defined as a cloud services brokerage, to be that, uh, that unifier of the provisioning, uh, the billing, the help desk support, the authentication authorization, governance, security, policy enforcement, uh, et cetera, for all the consumers that are accessing cloud services through that uh, brokerage operator. So who are the operators? Um, at the top there, you can see a representation of um, at least some of the uh, organizations that we have um, dealt with over the years who are pursuing this. So service providers, um, IT distributors, um, enterprises that are setting up public-facing marketplaces. Uh, this may be for communities of interest, or it may be you know, for, uh, uh, to their own customers or through their own channels. And also, we're seeing uh, rapid growth and in interest uh, from both a, a large enterprise as well as from a government um, IT perspective in those types of organizations becoming cloud services brokerage operators as well. So next uh, slide, I just want to kind of present a um, sort of an overview um, architectural um, look at what a cloud services brokerage typically encompasses. Um, I'm using you know, our solution, the Jamcracker Services Delivery Network, as an example. Um, but you could relate this to other types of approaches as well. So essentially what we're talking about here are, you know, kind, of, kind of break it up into two different components in terms of what's visually displayed here. So first of all is, you know, the services catalog. So this is your services portfolio, and it could include, um, you know, private cloud services that you may be operating out of your own 
uh, data center. It could include dev tests, uh, EC2, you know, other types of public um, infrastructure and development services that you're, you or your users are sourcing from third-party providers. And then application services, things like Salesforce.com, GoToMeeting, WebEx, um, Hosted Exchange, Office 365, et cetera. So this, um, you know, as, as we kind of move forward, whether you, have, you know, whether your users are SMBs or um, whether they are your employees within your organization, you know, this is the, you know, in terms of uh, planning out your cloud portfolio, these are the sorts of things that you're going to be thinking about and that you're going to want to enable to be delivered through your cloud services brokerage platform. Um, the platform itself is represented by the lower half here. So, you know, the common functions that you would have here are the catalog management, so what goes in to it, um, how you, you know, manage the presentation, the pricing, the charge packs, et cetera, enabling self-service provisioning for users, um, enabling uh, a single point of user management, authentication, authorization, and access control, um, enabling uh, reporting and auditing, which is important from a security and compliance standpoint, uh, but it's also important from a license management standpoint. Um, Health Desk uh, Federation, ticketing and support, and then billing, metering, and chargebacks. So these are sort of the, the major workflow functions, if you will, of a cloud services brokerage. And, um, you know, typically, for example, with the Jamcracker platform, if, if that's something you're considering, it has all of these functions built into it, but also all of these functions can be extended uh, through third-party services as well. So who are the types of CSB operators? Um, we've talked about a, a few different examples. Um, let's kind of categorize them into two major buckets here, um, internal, internally facing uh, cloud brokerages versus externally facing uh, cloud brokerages. So examples of internally facing brokerages would include enterprise IT, government IT organizations um, who are, uh, you know, essentially wanting to unify the delivery and lifecycle management consumption of, of all kinds of different cloud services on, uh, for their employees. Uh, so basically they're playing that aggregator role within their own organization. Um, or it could be other, you know, private uh, types of uh, communities of interest, uh, healthcare, um, organizations who are perhaps, you know, entertaining the cloud brokerage models a way to provide value-added services to their affiliated members, whether it's doctors who have their own affiliated doctors with their own private practices or uh, medical clinics. Um, in terms of externally facing cloud services brokerages, some examples there would be service providers, you know, telecommunications providers as an example, who are perhaps providing broadband lines and call hosting services today and want to expand their portfolio of services um, to, you know, provide more value to the services, to their uh, customers, to um, help grow retention, to help grow profitability, net new revenues, and also to protect the, uh, you know, the margins on their uh, gross margins on their core services. Uh, distributors are another example. Um, these are the guys who provide uh, pick, package, ship, and financing today for uh, traditional IT um, software and hardware licenses, you know, on behalf of their bars and MSPs. Um, obviously, as the IT delivery model increasingly goes to a subscription-type model, um, distributors, you know, don't want to be left behind there. So uh, we are working with uh, many uh, distributors who are um, using this cloud brokerage model as a way to 
um, enable them to be a single point of fulfillment for their VARs for uh, cloud services in addition to traditional licensed products. Um, technology OEMs, uh, this is a pretty broad category, but you know it could be a large ISP who's wanting to build out their own uh, partner marketplace and then enable their customers to have access to their value-added partner services through a single point of billing, et cetera, um, and other types of uh, vertical examples, financial institutions um, um, and others um, as well. So what are the five must-ask questions when you're considering your own CSP? Um, and this is uh, the way we've laid this out. This is sort of a natural progression in, in terms of how you might logically, you know, sort of evaluate the business case, um, the metrics, um, what risks you uh, may want to uh, address, uh, what your mitigation approach might be, what the operations deployment model is, and how you'll work with your ecosystem providers. So we're going to go through these in this order. Um, but I won't claim that there are only five questions that you should be asking. These are just five that uh, we're going to be covering. So as we go through this, uh, definitely encourage you to use your GoToWebinar interface to submit your own questions. Uh, we'll reserve a few minutes towards the end of the session to answer your questions as well. <clears throat> so first question, what is the business case justification for even considering uh, becoming a, a cloud services brokerage? Well, the, um, and, and, and those questions are going to be, you know, sort of tailored to what your, um, you know, business model is going to be or what your deployment model is going to be. So the first thing to ask yourself is, well, for whom will I be operating the CSP? Am I an uh, enterprise or government IT organization who's wanting to aggregate services for my internal employees? Or am I a service provider who's trying to you know, uh, sell more services to my external customers, to my distributor who's wanting to enable my channels to sell services, or am I an organization that maybe has needs that cut across all of these different categories? So, you know, once you kind of figure out what is it that you're trying to achieve, then you can sort of focus in on what are the business issues that, uh, that are pertinent. So, you know, again, I'm going to kind of break this down in terms of responding to the business case justification in terms of what the you know, what the, the, the primary models here. So I'll break this into internally versus externally facing cloud brokerages. So starting with internal, so again, the scenario here is an enterprise uh, or government IT organization. And so we've all heard about, you know, the consumerization of IT or shadow IT and increasingly cloud sprawl. And, and what's behind all of that is that, um, you know, as the delivery model for IT um, services and applications increasingly moves more towards a subscription-based model, um, as we see more and more innovation happening in the cloud in terms of different um, offerings, um, you know, oftentimes very niche-oriented um, offerings, um, increasingly, you're going to see a lot of adoption that happens at the grassroots level, and this is happening within, um, you know, companies of all sizes um, today. So, for example, it might be a young person in the marketing department at a large, um, um, you know, within a large corporation. Um, maybe they want to start sending out newsletters to their customers. Uh, they might go to their IT organization. They find out that there isn't uh, really anything in-house that can meet their needs, and 
um, you know, the, the planning horizon is too long for them to do what they want to do, which is to start sitting something out tomorrow. Um, so that person in marketing is very likely going to then go out um, and procure a service on their own with somebody like that constant contact or some other email marketing provider and uh, be on their merry way in terms of sending out newsletters to their customers. Um, now that may sound fine and good. It's great you know, for innovation to be happening at a grassroots level. It's good for the, the business, but there are a lot of uh, red flags with that scenario. So you know, first of all, you know, that marketing person going out on their own and signing up for the email marketing provider running in the cloud and then uploading their entire customer database to that cloud provider without the knowledge of uh, the IT organization who is responsible for governance and um, you know, data privacy and all of those things, um, as well as you know, um, helping pass their next SOX um, audit, you know, that's a huge, huge um, risk area. And you, know, you can all think of uh, numerous examples probably where even yourselves have, have, have done this um, in the past. So the bottom line is this is not a new trend. Um, you can think back to the days of server sprawl, um, you know, going back almost a decade ago, it was because the cost of hardware and, and uh, licenses came down to the point where people could start, functional heads could start buying that stuff with their discretionary dollars, which led to uh, data center consolidation and virtualization. Well, now you've got that same issue, but it is several orders of magnitude uh, more prevalent because the cost of entry to a cloud-based subscription service is much lower than simply going and buying a server um, a decade ago. So that's the issue that uh, many IT organizations are concerned about. Plus, you know, they're also interested in, in you know, naturally in terms of how they transform their IT organizations to be more nimble, more flexible. Uh, they're very likely have been investing in their own private cloud services as an extension of their virtualization strategy. So what IT organizations want to do is they want to be able to provide service catalogs as a centralized resource for all of their users across all of their different business units uh, and offer up um, their own internally um, hosted uh, services, cloud services, application services, as well as to be a single point of aggregation and delivery from third-party public cloud providers. So you know, the benefit of this uh, from a business model standpoint is that it removes the incentives for users to go out and buy stuff on their own. Um, why pull out your own credit card and try to expense a service if you can go to your internal IT provided portal and it has all of the services that you would want there as well. So that again, you know, helps remove that incentive for shadow IT um, happening. Um, so if you can do that, then um, that puts the IT organization in a position where they can unify the security, auditing, and policy enforcement for all of the different services that are being consumed by all of their different users. So the benefit is they can ensure consistent uh, governance and compliance across all these different services and all the different users. Um, a third key um, capability here that uh, IT organizations are interested in when looking at the CSP model is to take out costs out of the equation in terms of, uh, of using you know, third-party or outsourced services. So as a rule of thumb, um, you know, historically, if you have an application or if you have a business process that you are outsourcing to a third-party provider, 
um, you know, to take on more of the, the costs or to, you know, because they have more of the skills or whatever the kick reason might be, you still incur overhead costs associated with that. And as a rule of thumb, that can range from 15 to, you know, 25 to 30% of the uh, cost of the of whatever process you're outsourcing. So, you know, if you take that and you multiply that by the number of cloud services that your organization is going to be adopting, uh, whether it's at a grassroots level or whether it's uh, centralized or a combination of both, um, your overhead costs are just going to continue to grow um, linearly with that. And so what, you're, what a lot of these organizations are looking for is a way to reduce the overhead costs by getting scalability and, and, and scope um, to be able to centralize the management and delivery of um, you know, different types of cloud services. It's also important in terms of reducing the cost on the licensing side of things from a license management standpoint. So if you've got a large organization where maybe you've got different pockets of users in different regions, geographies, whatever the case may be, who are going out and procuring services on their own, maybe without one side knowing about the other one also doing it, then you're not putting yourself, um, your users, in a good negotiating position to get the best price on those services. So if you can aggregate that demand internally, then that puts you in a better position to aggregate that demand and um, negotiate better terms with the uh, cloud providers. So classic role for IT, uh, it's really extending it to, um, to the cloud model. And then finally, just being able to centralize the service and user lifecycle management across different services. So, you know, if you've got a large organization, you've got an employee um, you know, maybe it's a sales rep that leaves the company and goes and works, you know, takes a job with your uh, biggest competitor, you know, and, and let's say that employee had access to Salesforce.com, but a bunch of other services. Um, if you're operating a cloud brokerage, then um, you simply delete that user or, you, or that user is deleted via your directory and then uh, synced with the cloud brokerage platform and that user will automatically be deprovisioned from all of the services that they have, um, you know, been uh, provisioned for. So you don't risk, um, you know, the fact that uh, your data is being accessed by somebody who, who maybe now should not have access to it. Now, from an external standpoint, from an external CSP standpoint, it's really um, reinventing um, how IT services are being distributed uh, to end-user organizations. So, you know, the classic distribution model today um, with licensed hardware and software is you have uh, large distributors, you have a bar channel, managed services providers, and, you know, that's been the traditional model for, uh, for many, many um, decades. Um, and, and what's uh, different with uh, the uh, services delivery model for IT is that it changes the nature of how you add value from a distribution um, standpoint. So IDC did a very interesting analysis on this uh, not too long ago where they, um, it was more of a thought experiment, but where they're forecasting what the cloud distribution market share might look like in 2020. And the point they're trying to make here is that, yes, you know, traditional distributors um, are definitely going to have to evolve um, to be able to, you know, distribute cloud services and the brokerage models way for them to do that, uh, but it also presents a fantastic opportunity for other types of organizations, such as communication service providers, who are already very familiar with how to sell services on a monthly subscription type model, 
um, to get into the game of being a uh, distribution point. Uh, the other point they made was that these communication service providers also already have access to a lot of uh, business organizations, so they have um, an in-ramp. So I think the net net is we're going to see some interesting dynamics in terms of how services are distributed over the um, over the next few years. But the value from an external cloud brokerage standpoint is, you know, number one, again, it's all about driving revenue. It's all about driving competitive differentiation, and it's all about the bottom line. So capabilities that uh, you know be thinking about in terms of uh, thinking through your business model is. Um, what sorts of services might I want to provide? Are there complementary third-party services that can help me drive my top-line revenue, and um, and also you know enable me you know through bundling to also help drive uh, differentiation and, and customer retention around my own core offerings? Um, can I use a you know marketplace of services to drive greater stickiness with my existing customers? So that when renewals come up for my own core services, I'm not having to negotiate that renewal based on price alone. I'm able to protect my gross margins of my core services because now the switching costs are so much higher for my customers if they were to try to go to a lower cost provider or something like broadband because they would also have to switch out the email they get from me, the online data backup they get from me, uh, the web conferencing that they get from me. So. That's the uh, the game plan for a, a lot of these um, externally facing uh, brokerage operators. Um, value that they're uh, wanting to provide is a unified usage experience across the entire user services lifecycle. This is how they build the stickiness. It's how they build the brand visibility uh, to their uh, to their businesses and and more deeply into the businesses. Um, but it's also a way for them to um, drive more value and expand their current channels. So. Uh, we have a number of examples of uh, telcos, for example, that we're working with or using our solution where they have signed on, you know, hundreds of uh, VARs because the VARs have uh, no one else to go to to get access to cloud services. So they're able to leverage their marketplace to, to recruit um, new types of channel partners, not only to sell the cloud services, but also to, you know, through bundling to also uh, drive sales of their core services as well. So we talked about you know what the business model is, and and you know this is probably it's a, it's a big number one in terms of the five questions that you're asking, and really all of the remaining questions really stem off the you know off the assumption that uh, that that something in here has triggered you to say yes, this cloud brokerage model makes sense for me. I believe. Um, let me dig into this a little bit more and actually start building out the business case. So. You know, assuming that's the situation here, um, the next step is that okay, great. How do I quantify, you know, this uh, these business goals that we've just talked about? So, what are the expected revenue gains uh, that I can get from offering a public uh, cloud brokerage, or what are the cost savings, uh, the security improvements that I can expect to gain by operating an internal cloud brokerage for my users? Um, what are the metrics? What are the target goals I should have in place? And really, it comes down to how do I quantify success? So, you know, the the, the economic model, um, you know, obviously is going to vary depending on your use case. And I put in a few examples here. Um, but if you're a service provider, um, your you know your metrics are going to be around how much more direct um, revenue can I 
uh, or top line revenue can I drive from these uh, additional cloud services that I'm going to be selling to my um, to my existing customers? What do I expect the uptake to be? What services do I expect to you know be top sellers? What should I you know initially go to market with? How do I phase my portfolio strategy? Um, what are the best services in terms of really driving customer stickiness? Um, and uh, ability for me to cross-sell, upsell, protect my gross margins, um, et cetera. So really it comes down to from a service provider, and service provider could be a telco, it could be a bank selling, you know, checking account services to business customers, but it's all around what additional related value can I provide to my business customers so that they will um, want to spend more time um, with me um, with my brand, with my core services, and with these additional services that, um, that I'll be providing them. Um, for enterprise government IT organizations, um, again, it's more about uh, what are the economics associated with how I transform my IT services organization to become, to, to truly operate a more of an on-demand services model, what uh, Gartner used to refer to as the, the real-time enterprise, uh, going back about a decade. So, this has been something that has been driving IT evolution for, you know, for quite some time. Um, the cloud, uh, you know, the whole cloud model is just really trying, is really just uh, forcing that whole evolution to accelerate. Um, so really the key, you know, questions here, the key metrics here are, you know, what are the governance and compliance, um, you know, policies that I have in place today for my traditional IT delivery? Um, what of those do I need to be able to also track and monitor and enforce um, for cloud services, um, you know, particularly from uh, external cloud providers, and what additional um, governance and compliance issues might I uh, need to, to think about um, in terms of uh, things like data privacy, user privacy, et cetera, that uh, maybe didn't apply to me before but will apply uh, for cloud services. Um, what are the, you know, what are my overhead costs associated with, uh, uh, you know, current services that I'm outsourcing today? Um, how do I, you know, does, how can this cloud brokerage model help me if I'm scaling up the number of services I'm, I'm sourcing from a dozen to um, several hundred, um, you know, what is that going to look like uh, on my IT um, expense budget? Um, and um, how can I leverage this cloud brokerage model to drive those costs down and scale up more efficiently? How do I get myself, my IT organization, in a position where um, I am more flexible in terms of being able to meet the changing needs of the businesses and that I can truly get buy-in from the business users um, to want to work um, with me and through me versus working around me? IT providers and distributors, it's all about um, how do I transition from my current pick-back, ship, um, and warehousing um, type of uh, model for licensed software and hardware to being able to deliver recurring revenue streams um, to my, or through my VARs and through my managed services providers, and as a result, um, grow uh, greater productivity, loyalty, revenue um, uh, through my existing partners and also um, acquire other partners um, um, who, you know, will want to come to me because I can provide them a complete set of, uh, of uh, license-based and subscription-based IT services. 
Now, finally, we, we've been talking about all these uh, cloud brokerage, um, you know, business case and economics around those that are operating the cloud brokerages. Um, there's also tremendous value, and, and, I, and I raise this because we oftentimes get the question, what's in it for the cloud providers? Why would the cloud providers want to work with uh, cloud brokerages? And, and I can tell you, based on our experience um, over the last few years of, of building out our own pre-integrated ecosystem of uh, well over 100 different um, public cloud providers, is that this was a no-brainer uh, value proposition for, for most of these cloud providers. Um, in that, um, you know, first of all, um, it takes a tremendous investment in, in sales and marketing to raise above the noise um, to, you know, to drive uh, awareness. And when you've got exponential growth in terms of the sheer volume of cloud providers that you're competing with, that's going to get harder and harder and more expensive as time goes on. And so, you know, for these guys, it's a no-brainer that, wow, I can integrate to this cloud brokerage platform, um, and through that, I can get access, you know, to potentially um, many different um, cloud marketplaces being operated by, you know, distributors, service providers, enterprise organizations, et cetera. You know, it's a, it's, it's a pretty easily understood value proposition. Um, and so, you know, it, it sort of runs uh, counter to what uh, the prevailing wisdom was about four or five years ago, which was, you know, oh, SaaS is going to kill the channel. Well, the reverse is true here. What we're seeing is the channel is alive and healthy, and these cloud providers want to get access to these channels um, in whatever way they can. So, okay, so we talked about, you know, the business model doesn't make sense. Secondly, what are some of the metrics that it might apply to your building out your business model? So the next thing is, okay, great. What are the risks um, associated from both the business as well as the technical perspective with uh, moving forward with this cloud brokerage uh, model? Uh, essentially, it's just going, doing some gap analysis, and then how do I best uh, mitigate them? How do I fill these gaps? So some of the considerations, um, I've actually kind of broken this out into, you know, sort of a, a life cycle progression of um, how you, um, you know, do your initial implementation to become a cloud brokerage, how you do your ongoing operations and support, and then, you know, some of the common issues that uh, people worry about in general about, uh, you know, um, uh, cloud services uh, delivery consumption, namely security, data integrity, compliance, um, you know, disaster recovery, et cetera. So uh, from an implementation standpoint, um, you know, one thing I will caution you is, you know, there, there's always going to be kind of a buy versus build um, sort of uh, analysis. And um, whichever path you go down, I think the important thing to understand is what does your complete solution look like, all right? And understand that it's not just a technology solution, but it's also an operations model. It's a support model, and it's a um, it's a huge business development uh, type of effort um, in terms of um, how you uh, recruit and build out your ecosystem, how you negotiate your margins if you're an external cloud bro uh, brokerage provider, and and so there's a lot that goes into it rather than just uh, purely looking at it from a technology standpoint. So, you know, key things to think about are you know, what capabilities do you have now to truly uh, build this out and operate it and grow it over time? Um, security and data integrity, um, 
you know, really these last two items here, I would kind of flip the question around. In fact, a good way of thinking about risk and mitigation is really what are the risks today if you continue to have, uh, for example, if you're an enterprise organization and, and you continue to have grassroots adoption by, you know, individual users, uh, you know, an extension of this consumerization of IT, what is the risk to your corporation? Uh, if there isn't any, then, then that's great. Don't uh, worry about the cloud brokerage model. But if you're concerned about things like uh, compliance um, and uh, security and uh, user experience and all that stuff, then you should be thinking about the cloud brokerage model. So, so I would encourage you to kind of not get too wrapped around the axle in terms of what are the risks of becoming a cloud brokerage. I'll think about it more from the standpoint of what are the risks with your current um, evolution and then does this cloud brokerage make sense in terms of addressing this risk? And then once you've ascertained that, then it becomes more of a, you know, what is the right, um, you know, what are my gaps in my organization in terms of being able to implement and operate a cloud brokerage? And that then drives us into the next question here, which is what operating models should I be thinking about? So what are the different options for deploying a CSB, uh, for operating it? Um, how do I get buy-in from my users? Um, how do I support my users? So um, some of the operations and support options and considerations, um, you know, kind of breaking it into three major buckets here. You know, first of all, uh, if you're a large enterprise government IT organization and you're looking at, um, uh, you know, you're um, evaluating this, um, the, uh, you'll, you know, you'll get the question, should we build this, should we buy it, uh, gee, can't we build it, we've got, you know, this identity management system over here, we've got this catalog, you know, ITSM product over here, we've got, um, you know, a directory sitting over there, we've got, um, you know, we've got a finance and accounting system, why don't we just glue everything together and, um, you know, sort of uh, bootstrap our own cloud brokerage. And, you know, one of the key things to, to think about when you're looking at these um, NIST, um, you know, architecture diagrams of cloud service brokers or when you're looking at, you know, the Gartner or Forrester reports is that the magic sauce is the workflow that ties all of these different functions together. So um, there's no doubt that if you took each of those boxes that is in the typical cloud brokerage architectural model, you can say, oh, yeah, I've already got something that does that particular function. The thing to keep in mind is it's the workflow, the glue that ties everything together, which is the secret sauce here. So, you know, that what that does is that leads um, a lot of um, organizations as they drill into it and uh, get an understanding is to, okay, I need to um, buy some technology, I need to buy potentially some managed services. So then it says, okay, what's the best way for me to do this, right? Should I still run this on-premise? Um, you know, but I'm going to buy the, the, the technology from a cloud brokerage platform provider, um, you know, then it becomes simply a question of um, do you have the skill sets um, in your organization to do that? Um, do you have, you know, the CapEx budget to do that? Or are you needing to look at more of an OpEx model because your CapEx, you know, budget is pretty much dried up? If you're looking at more of an OpEx type model, then you'll probably want to consider it a hosted CSB um, type of approach or maybe a fully outsourced type of approach. So it really kind of comes down to, um, you know, what are your requirements in terms of, you know, does it need to be in your own data center or can it be in a third-party data center? And if it's in a third-party data center, 
does it need to be your own standalone uh, user database, or, or can it be something that's run in a multi-tenant fashion? And so, and then finally, the third thing is, you know, another approach that uh, many large organizations will want to consider is I'm going to bring somebody in to, to run this, build it, um, expand it, evolve it, et cetera. Um, but typically what happens is the answer is usually some combination of, of the above. And so it's usually, you know, a hybrid approach where, you know, maybe you're running it in your own operations center, uh, but maybe you're, you're getting some, um, you know, you're outsourcing some of the managed services, um, you know, around things like services integration or, or uh, call center support um, to, you know, be able to augment um, any gaps that you might have in your organization from an operations and support standpoint. Vendor management, um, okay, great. I've got this cloud brokerage. I figured out how I'm going to uh, deploy it, figure out how I'm going to operate it. Uh, I know how I'm going to support my users. Um, okay, great. How do I build out my um, catalog of providers? Well, okay, I'm a large enterprise. I've got, you know, lots of cloud providers that are beating down my door to want to get a site license type, you know, um, or subscription, uh, site-wide subscription, you know, model with me. Um, but how do I kind of, you know, get out of this onesie and twosie type of, uh, of uh, mode and how do I scale this up in mass um, with the vision that I'm going to have hundreds, potentially hundreds of different um, cloud providers in my catalog that I'm going to be providing internally to my users or externally to my customers or through my channels. Um, and in the latter case, it's probably going to be thousands. So, you know, how do I do this? How do I scale this up? So. Um, again, this is something where, you know, bringing in a, um, a third party can help a lot. Uh, one of the things that we have learned over the past decade of our existence in, in terms of aggregating um, third party services delivery is that um, is how to kind of put together a workable model in terms of how you contract with these guys, how you, how you negotiate, what you negotiate, um, how you define the SLAs, the, uh, the monitoring, the uh, recourse, um, and things like that. Um, another question that often comes with this is, what if I want to be a vendor myself, even though I'm the cloud brokerage provider, i.e., you know, I've got my own private cloud. I want to be able to publish that into my marketplace, to my catalog, for my internal users as well. Can I do that? And so, um, so addressing these uh, questions, contract SLAs, as I mentioned, um, this is something where you want to get to the mode where you've got a standard contract where you can scale this up so you're not having to do this um, in a uh, onesie or twosie type of uh, model. Uh, you really want to get it to a point where onboarding a new cloud provider uh, from a contractual standpoint is, you know, a, a week or two, right? And, um, and that's typically what we experience from, from, a, from a, a contract negotiation standpoint when we, um, you know, negotiate uh, wholesale uh, business terms with um, our third-party cloud providers um, that we provide access to for our customers running our platform. Um, the second item here about services onboarding, um, the cloud brokerage model is ambivalent as to where those services sit. So it doesn't matter if the service is sitting in a third-party data center um, around the world, if it's sitting in, you know, an ISV's data center, or if it's sitting in your own data center. So by definition, that aggregation model works uh, regardless of where that service sits and regardless of who the owner of that service sits. So uh, services onboarding is going to apply equally to externally um, hosted as well as your own internal services. 
Um, what you'll find, and this kind of goes back to the gap analysis in terms of uh, your your organization, your, your IT organization, is one of the things you'll find as you dig into this is that, you know, you're going to see a shift in terms of what the core competencies of your personnel are, um, at least in terms of how it's weighted. And, um, you know, you're going to see that you're going to need to kind of move away from uh, sort of this keep the lights on mentality and having lots of database administrators and, and things like that. And it's going to move more towards where you're going to find you're going to need to have uh, expand your skill sets in terms of, um, you know, uh, people in your IT organization or working with your IT organization who can help with things like services integration, um, helping create composite services between different cloud providers or different cloud providers in your on-premise Solution. So this is really kind of, um, you know, the evolving value that IT organizations are going to be able to provide is not just simply being a, a pass-through, a, a catalog manager, but it's also uh, providing the integrations to be able to take off-the-shelf cloud services, combine them with, um, you know, internal proprietary types of um, needs and services, and create a composite solution um, for the business. So that's going to be the great value point for um, IT going forward. Um, another aspect of vendor management is just lifecycle management. So, um, okay, I'm an externally facing cloud services brokerage. I'm selling services. How do I settle with these cloud providers? You know, based on the wholesale costs that have negotiated. Uh, what's the processes for doing that? How do I integrate, federate my help desk with their help desk so that um, you know users have a single throat to choke um, in terms of having one place they can come to for all of their support needs without having to, you know, deal with uh, going to different uh, providers themselves to get support. Um, and then as my cloud providers go through service upgrades, um, you know, what's the process I have in place in terms of how I make sure that that integration adapter between my cloud brokerage platform and their service doesn't break? Um, if there are changes, you know, what's the process for how I recertify those services um, et cetera. So, you know, lifecycle management is a key part of, um, of uh, vendor management when you're talking about cloud services brokerages. So with that, I'm going to take a, um, a breath here and, um, you know, uh, let's give you a chance to ask uh, some of your own questions. And, okay, we've already got a couple, um, a few more coming in. Um, so the first question is, we are a multinational company um, with different business units running their own IT. Um, does the cloud brokerage model, you know, make sense in this situation? Okay, great question. Um, so a lot of times, you know, when you're uh, when people, you know, especially enterprises, are looking at this, um, you'll sort of see, you know, uh, articles that say, oh, uh, enterprise IT needs to provide an app store you know, for their um, organizations. You know, now you're a cloud brokerage and, and life is good. The reality is, is that if you're talking about a large organization with, um, you know, with uh, different types of business units, with different needs and different geographies, with different languages, um, it's, it's very likely not going to be a one-size-fits-all app store um, type model. Um, so, you know, for example, one of the things that um, we see in deployments um, such as that is that you're really going to need to think about this in terms of a multi-tiered 
um, type of um, catalog. And what I mean by that is, you know, envision that you're going to have one single master catalog with all of the services that are going to be consumed by your organizations, and that's your dynamic, you know, point of um, onboarding for adding new services. Um, but you're going to want to provide the ability uh, to be able to have um, your distributed business and IT units be able to set up their own uh, subservient catalogs for their own regions. Um, and they may, you know, want to pull down all or just some of the services that are in your master catalog. And the reason might be different business units, uh, users are going to have different needs. Um, certainly different departments are going to have different needs. Um, different geographies are going to have different language requirements, um, et cetera. So, you know, you're going to be, you're going to, it's going to be important from a scalability standpoint that you can delegate that administration from a catalog um, and user management standpoint uh, throughout your organization. So, um, you know, it, again, the bottom line here is if you're a large company, you should be thinking about a catalog strategy that is a, a probably going to be a multi-tiered um, type of strategy. Um, what is the difference between a SaaS marketplace and um, a cloud services brokerage? Okay, great question. Um, so SaaS marketplaces um, are really kind of a, um, a subset of the overall cloud services brokerage um, market. <clears throat> and what I mean by that is, you know, for example, when um, I was showing the um, architectural diagram earlier on, um, I was showing that a catalog that had infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, software as a service types of applications in there. That would be the classic definition of a cloud services brokerage because, you know, the way that cloud, you know, different people have different definitions, but in the, in the broad sense, cloud uh, is really talking about the entire IT services stack, not just infrastructure, not just software as a service, but, you know, the entire IT services stack, ranging from infrastructure to applications to business processes. And so the difference is, is that a SaaS marketplace will typically be something, you know, kind of like uh, a Google marketplace might be, Google Apps marketplace might be a good example of that, where it tends to be, you know, um, application types of um, services, whereas a um, infrastructure as a service brokerage provider would be sort of another subset of a cloud brokerage provider. So, and there's a number of folks that do that, such as, um, you know, RightScale and others, right? They provide you the ability to have kind of a single plane of um, pane of glass to manage different, um, you know, cloud provider services. But, so you can think of the cloud brokerage as sort of a level above that, which is um, where you are aggregating the entire IT stack, whether it's software as a service, or it's public infrastructure clouds or private infrastructure clouds. Okay, the, um, the next question here is um, if I'm a, um, okay, I'm an I'm a enterprise IT organization. We already um, have, uh, you know, some licenses with um, um, SaaS providers like um, Salesforce, um, et cetera. Um, how do I, you know, how do I, how does this play into a cloud brokerage um, model? Does, do I have to turn over that, uh, okay, do I have to turn that license agreement over to a cloud brokerage provider? Okay, uh, great question. So, um, so, so the answer is no, you don't. Um, 
if you're, if you're an enterprise IT organization, you're wanting to operate your own um, cloud brokerage um, solution, or you're sourcing it from somebody who's operating it on your behalf, um, usually what you're going to see in terms of the contractual relationships with the cloud providers is it's going to be, you know, especially if you're working with an externally, um, you know, hosted uh, cloud services brokerage provider, you're going to see that it's going to be a combination of contracts that that um, that uh, third party has already pre-negotiated with cloud providers on your behalf as well as on behalf of their other customers. Um, but also it should have the ability for you to be able to add your own services, you know, where you have a contractual relationship with this. So, um, you know, there is a notion, and in fact we've got a number of um, uh, customers who are doing this today, of, of uh, service providers who are operating a cloud services brokerage as a service type of solution for the mid-sized large enterprises. And so that's that's the kind of capability in general that you'll want to you know be able to have when you're working with a third-party uh, provider like that. Um, obviously, if you're uh, going to be running this yourself, um, you know, and operating it, then you've got you know um, by by definition you have com complete control over the uh, the content of that. Uh, the flip side is that you know that makes you um, you know responsible for. Um, negotiating all those uh, uh, contracts with all those different cloud providers, um, which is why a lot of times what we see um, in terms of what people actually want to deploy is kind of a hybrid model where, you know, regardless of whether they're hosting the cloud brokerage um, platform in their own data center or the third-party data center, um, they are, you know, leveraging um, a um, CSB enabler who can also provide them you know, a catalog of pre-negotiated contracts that they can leverage, but also the flexibility for them to onboard, for you to onboard your own services and to, and to onboard your own contracts. Okay, um, we've got a few more questions that are coming in, but I, I think um, in the interest of time, I'm going to go ahead and, and um, move forward here. And for those of you that uh, where we didn't get a chance to get to you, we will follow up with you um, individually afterwards. So just to kind of recap, um, you know, in this presentation, we've taken, um, you know, a, a high-level cut um, at um, how you might outline your thought process in terms of, of um, you know, the questions that you should be considering when looking at this cloud brokerage model. So number one, business case justification is, is all about, you know, what am I trying to achieve here and does it make sense for me? What problems am I trying to solve? So a very simple question, but you should start with that. Um, then based on what that business case scenario is, then what is the appropriate economic model? So we talked about a couple different scenarios here. If you're an cloud brokerage, um, considering that model, um, then you should be looking at how do I take costs out? How do I drive uh, my governance compliance across you know, cloud adoption? How do I you know, get out of this mode of shadow IT and users working around me versus through me. Um, how do I become more adaptive to the needs of my business? Or if you're an externally facing brokerage, um, you're going to be looking at this more from a revenue standpoint, more from how do I, you know, sell more stuff to my existing customers? How do I uh, protect the gross margins on my core services? How do I drive greater differentiation so I can grow market share? What does this mean to me from a bottom line standpoint? Um, thirdly, we then talked about, okay, so you figured out sort of what you want to achieve and, and what the metrics are that you're going to be tracking. What are the risks uh, throughout the uh, life cycle of, of becoming and operating as a cloud brokerage? So we talked about
some of those risks. Uh, part and parcel with that, we talked about different um, operations uh, models, and then we, we finally touched on uh, vendor management. And then we had a few other uh, good questions and a, a few more that are continuing to come in um, um, around this as well. So, um, you know, just to make a quick uh, uh, commercial announcement here, um, as you're considering the cloud brokerage model, I, I, I highly encourage you to, to um, you know, please seek us out if, um, you know, no matter where you are in the thought process right now. Um, we have a lot of experience in, in doing this. We've been focused on services aggregation and delivery uh, since our founding in, in the late 90s. Uh, cloud services brokerage enablement is all we do. Um, we're good at it. We've, we've got a lot of experience at it. Um, we also recognize that it's not purely a technology solution, that it's also all about how you enable your ecosystem of cloud providers. We have a lot of experience with that in terms of how do you onboard cloud providers, what are the business issues to deal with, how do you support them, et cetera. Um, we're also completely technology and application agnostic. Um, our platform is highly extensible, so it can work out of the box uh, from the get-go. Um, but, you know, we have hundreds of APIs, so it's infinitely extensible, uh, not only in terms of onboarding different types of cloud services, but also in terms of extending the functionality of each of those modules that makes up the workflow for uh, within the cloud services brokerage platform. So um, the net net is, you know, we believe and we pride ourselves on the fact that we can enable you to get to, to uh, deployment or market quickly um, and, and maintain the flexibility, flexibility to meet emerging market needs because it is a very dynamic market. It will be for, for quite some time. So uh, final perspectives, um, you know, we started this out by talking about what the cloud brokerage opportunity is, um, you know, and, and, and again, um, if you're looking for um, additional information, naturally we'd like you to contact us, but, um, you know, Gartner um, is a fantastic resource. They've uh, been leading the charge on, on the whole cloud brokerage uh, market analysis for uh, several years now. Uh, Daryl Plummer, um, Tiffany Bova. Uh, Vanel LaRue, um, you know, a, a long list of different analysts um, who can um, help you out uh, there. Um, so you'll find a lot of good information on the cloud brokerage market. They've got some great reports in terms of, um, you know, how it applies to different uh, verticals, different uh, business models. And um, naturally you'll find some information on Jamcarker there as well. Um, and uh, you can get their perspectives on, on us, um, you know, as you're finding out more about the market. So with that, um, I'd like to thank you for your, your time and, and the great questions.